0: Today's episode is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store.
1: Overcast. I got the fortunes of heaven in diamonds and gold. I got all the bonds, baby, that the bank could hold. And I got houses across the country, honey. Into ending, everybody, but buddy, baby, wants to be my friend. Well, I got all the richest baby, any man ever knew. Who. But the only thing I ain't got, baby, I ain't got you. I got a house full of Rembrandt and priceless art, and all the little girls, they all want to tear me apart, and when I walk down the street, people stop and stare, well, you think I'd be thrilled, baby, but I I don't care, because I got more good luck, honey, than old King Farouk, but the only thing I ain't got, baby, I ain't got you, I got a... Big diamond watch sitting on my wrist. I try to tempt you, baby, but you just resist. I made a deal with the devil, but I... Won't deny until I catch you in my arms. I can't be satisfied. I got a pound of caviar sitting home on ice. I got a fancy foreign car that rides like paradise. I got a hundred pretty women knocking down my door. And folks who want to kiss me I ain't ever seen before. I've been around the world and all across the seven seas. He's been paid a king's ransom for what comes naturally. But I'm still the biggest fool, honey, this world ever knew who. Cause the only thing I ain't got, baby, I ain't got you I ain't got you I ain't got you I ain't got you
0: Good morning from my backyard I'm set up between the fire pit and our newly dug pumpkin patch in the garden I've got a cup of coffee nearby the birds are doing their thing. It sounds nice. Life is kind of smaller like this you know like it's uh, I, I crave like going for a hike or going to my favorite restaurants uh, yet at the same time the extra time that we've all had at home is is kind of nice in some ways like you know more time that I'm actually spending with uh, with the family that you know I'm always finding excuses for not doing um, whenever I can get out in the wide world. Um, it's not all bad. I'm, I'm craving a haircut. Uh, I don't know how many of you out there are, but I've got the COVID-19 hair, and it actually needs a brush, and that's a first for my life. Um, I don't know. I kind of like it, I guess, but it's it's getting me outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is weird, and it's wonderful, uh, to bring you this show uh, this quarter. Uh, Your Story South... I'm I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed doing this podcast uh, for load this year that we've been doing it, uh, and the, the people who have been willing to share their stories, and not to mention Kyle and Tony for contributing their musical uh, talents to it as well. Um, but uh, I realized Saturday night that that was the show that we were supposed to do, and it was not going to happen. Uh, but we have planned ahead, and I have been uh, in contact with a few people who are willing and. Uh, able uh, to provide their stories uh, to us, and I've got three uh, in this half of the show I'm very excited to bring to you. Normally, uh, with a show, I have absolutely no idea what a storyteller is going to present, Uh, but of course, these are pre-recorded, and I honestly think all of our storytellers did a fantastic job with it. The title of this episode is Together Apart, which We've all been on our Zoom meetings. We've all shared our telephone calls with our parents and our grandparents that we haven't been able to see. We're trying to stay connected, but at the same time, we're in these kind of insular lives. You know, you may be one of the people who has to go to work, for example. Um, you may not be. <laughs> you may be working from home. You may be doing homeschooling that you weren't prepared to do uh, a few months ago. Uh, we are essentially all in this as we fight this virus together, um, yet at the same time, we are definitely separated from each other in the lives that we know and the contact um certainly one of the questions in my mind is when this is quote unquote all over what is life going to be is, are, is are there going to be new recommendations on who can gather uh and and when and how big of a group there can be many questions no answers here Our first storyteller comes from the uh, beautiful, small city of Monticello, Illinois. That's kind of right outside of Champaign-Urbana and a lovely place. Elizabeth Feaster is a graduate of the London School of Business and is now the head of T1 International, a U.K.-registered charity, uh, which apparently is now also a U.S. nonprofit organization, so that's pretty awesome. What they do is they fight... for how inappropriately expensive insulin is. Essentially, they combat price gouging. Uh, Insulin is a necessary uh, medication, of course, for diabetes. In a lot of our lives, we know people who are type 2 diabetic, they're older, uh, and they may need some insulin as a supplement. Specifically, her organization targets type 1 diabetics, and these are people who have been diabetic since childhood. Their body makes no insulin whatsoever, and they are completely dependent on getting insulin. Um, And to that end, if the medication is not affordable, which... Spoiler, it's extremely affordable and extremely, it's extremely possible to make it um, so that it doesn't have to cost $500 or whatever it costs a month. Um, But that isn't the case because, well, anyway, um, I am in deep admiration for the work that she does because it is very important. Um, it, It is sadly necessary. I could go on and on. Uh, but that's not to take away from Liz herself, who is an awesome person. She is a talented author, poet, and artist in her own right. Uh, she is living in Cheltenham, the United Kingdom, which is over in the Cotswolds on the uh, western side of the country. Um, and she has shared us this story. So take it away, Liz.
2: You know that feeling, that sense of loneliness that is so strong it aches? A feeling like all you want is to be connected to people you love and to the world, but all you're getting back is empty space and blank pages. I can remember easily and specifically the times I felt it. felt like I was drowning. And I want to tell you about the man who saved me. Number one, I was in high school dealing with the typical teenage emotions of growing up. I felt that my family didn't understand me, and I had few close friends. I was in an unhealthy relationship that made me constantly feel desperately alone. At the time, I worked at the local fledgling record store and spent some of my evenings and earnings on frequent trips to Borders Bookstore. One day, I pulled out Sonnets to Orpheus, by a German poet with the same name as that of my current favorite band, Raina Maria. I spent my next five two-hour shifts at the record store devouring those sonnets, and was introduced to the tragic and bewitching plight of Orpheus. The way Rilke brought nature and humanity together blew me away. Fear not the pain— wrote Reina Maria Rilke. Let its weight fall back into the earth. For heavier the mountains, heavy the seas. The trees you planted in childhood have grown, too heavy. You cannot bring them along. Give yourselves to the air, to what you cannot hold. Rilke wrote in German, and I was shocked by the fact that I was so enamored by the words that weren't even in their original language. I wish to this day that I could read German so that I could read Rilke in its native form. Rilke articulated so much with so few words and made me feel more connected to the natural world than I ever had. It sounds cheesy, but I don't have any better words to describe it other than this was the beginning of my love affair with Rilke, a man who died in 1926. Number 2. I moved to England to study in 2011. I didn't know a soul when I arrived and I was incredibly scared. I'd kept up affairs with Rilke throughout college dipping in when I felt especially lost or depressed. After graduating, I was again aimlessly roaming, unsure of my next move. What I thought my future would hold was actually not the case at all. By that time, Rainer had slipped off my radar. Shortly after arriving in London to begin my master's degree, I found a beautiful pocket version of his book of hours poems in a little shop in London. I'd been experiencing many sleepless nights, thinking, why did I come here, and can I do this? That little book ensured that I was revived by the transcendent power of his poetry. In his poetry collection called Ahead of All Parting, Rilke wrote, "'Losing two is still ours, and even forgetting still has a shape in the kingdom of transformation. When something's let go of, it circles, and though we are rarely at the center of the circle, it draws around us its unbroken, marvelous curve.'" Number 3. Fast forward to two years ago. I ended up in England permanently. Life was full of ups and downs, as life is, when I was suddenly and rapidly diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Having spent most of my life dealing with a chronic health condition of type 1 diabetes, I felt that this was simply another part of life that was barreling towards me. I've always been an anxious person, but biopsies, multiple surgeries, treatments, and being across an ocean from my family didn't help. I would find myself crippled by anxious thoughts, And often unable to put those thoughts to rest at bedtime. I again turn to Rilke for comfort. One poem in particular has become my mantra for facing the empty canvas of the future alone. I know it by heart and repeat it often to try to ground myself. Quiet friend who has come so far, feel how your breathing makes more space around you. Let this darkness be a bell tower and you the bell. As you ring, what batters you becomes your strength. Move back and forth into the change. What is it like, such intensity of pain? If the drink is bitter, turn yourself to wine. In this uncontainable night, be the mystery at the crossroads of your senses, the meaning discovered there. And if the world has ceased to hear you, say to the silent earth, I flow. To the rushing water speak, I am. Rilke taught me to be patient. To practice gratitude and to recognize that the world is so much bigger and more meaningful than one person. In many ways, Rilke saved me from darkness. Like a cat with nine lives, his words refresh me when it all becomes too much and I'd rather be done. If the metaphor can equal reality, he has six more savings ready for me. I know that being saved by a man is not very feminist. I also know that Rilke didn't save me, but he showed me that being alone can have its own kind of togetherness, its own kind of whole. I have to believe that things that make us feel whole must carry a special magic. So, what's your magic?
0: While COVID-19 is isolating, to say the least, the whole thing has me reflecting on the other ways that I isolate myself uh, from the rest of the world, the people I should go see, the people I should be more open with my feelings with. Um, It's been an interesting reflection in, you know, what it is to be connected to people when you can't do that. Our next storyteller is Bethany Williford, uh, who hails from central Illinois. She is a talented storyteller in her own right, up and down. Uh, And you'll probably be seeing her on the podcast live uh, in the future, should that ever occur. Um, But uh, I'm really excited to bring her story today. Thank you very much, Bethany. Take it away.
3: Together Apart, or The Story of How I Cope. How many books can you read in a week? How many shows and movies can you watch in a month? Do you feel pressured to be doing something, but do nothing at all? I get it. I know that feeling. Having the freedom to do anything when you want to, it's wonderful at first, but spirals downward into something that can feel like drowning. It's hard to pull yourself out. But that's where this story begins. Background. I travel for work. This is a glamorous fact that lets me experience what it would be like to live in the boroughs of New York City or the remote beauty of Aspen, Colorado. From skyscrapers to mountains to the Texas heat in the summer, I go, I experience, I come home. I have the perfect Instagram pictures to show off, leaving out the times I felt trapped with no way to escape. There's no picture to show how much I would have liked to have had someone there with me. What's it like to be on the road? For me, it's lonely. It is exhausting to ruminate on all of the things I should be doing with this time, but don't. So I get back to the hotel and take a nap, play a video game, pace the hotel room, try to focus, but decide it's probably not going to happen, tell myself I'm going to go and work out this trip alone, which doesn't even happen when I'm at home. So I should make new friends. Effectively moving away every few months means that I need to make new friends everywhere I go. It's a job that never stops. A pleasant, happy face for work, never blunt. Attempting to be tactful because waves are not your friend when traveling. Off work, the same face because my new friends are most likely coworkers. So calm waters must prevail. Being that emotionally alert all of the time is hard. Like with any new friendship, there lurks the constant worry that this person won't like me. Don't mess it up. Be what they want. And I know that by the time we both feel comfortable enough to let those guards down, I'll be leaving to go home. Our relationship will be relegated to friendly acquaintance status on Facebook. The potential rarely lasts past a couple of weeks after I leave. I am, surprisingly, more of an introvert you wouldn't guess that meet me for the first time and i'm open with conversation and probably peppering you with questions see me with my friends and i'm loud insistent with comments and jokes i must be i live in a space where i'm generally clever yet the people around me are more so it's a good-hearted fight to supply a quip or throw in a story there needs to be a great balance of timing and quick thought and Grace has never been my strong suit, so I'm loud instead. In smaller groups or one-on-one, we don't shy away from casually cooking dinner or reading books together, just recharging in each other's company. They are the type of long-term friendships that time has built with a solid foundation. I go from being around new people all day, every day, building new connections, investing time and mental capabilities, energy, To being at home, a familiar but empty landscape filled with boxes and unpacked luggage. Seeing myself standing alone in my living room, needing time to readjust. Avoiding people for a week while I sit with my cats. They're thrilled, but I'm navigating how to be involved in my friends' lives again. Knowing I'll leave in a few months and that we'll just have to do this on repeat. To be fair, my coping is not top-notch. We don't want to be vulnerable and admit that. I don't want to be vulnerable and admit that. I don't want to open myself up to the potential pain of rejection. It's terrifying to lay out emotional baggage and think they might not care. How do I call a friend and say, hey, I know we haven't seen or talked to each other in months, but I'm lonely and it's hard. I don't have anyone to give me a hug. Can we just talk? I have friends that I haven't seen in months or even years. But when we get back together, we can pick up like nothing ever happened. But that distance apart is scary. How do I bridge a gap that I feel guilty even exists? How do I lay this at their feet when we haven't communicated in forever? For newer friends, it's unthinkable. My anxiety chimes in and says, this will push them away. Your friendship is not strong enough. Don't do it. Full stop. Those fears keep me trapped in a hotel room, trapped in my living room. I wonder who to call or tell these feelings to because I am lost in the middle of anywhere and can't find my way out. I think that I am being ridiculous or overly dramatic as I am wont to be. No one seems to be facing this struggle, and I don't want them to. I wouldn't wish for this to happen to them, so how can I bring this to them? It's better to hold on to this pain, because what kind of friend would I be to expose them to what I'm struggling to contain? Social distancing encourages people to reach out from far away. Reach out from behind walls that are close enough to touch. While I still Can't quite bring myself to tell my friends that I'm lonely, I'm sad. They're telling me when they need someone, sharing just a bit of their lives, even non-important details, because I am, we are, all involved and active participants in each other's lives. They are communicating a piece of their vulnerability, and I accept it without thinking twice, the same way they would mine, if I'd let them think that there's always an internal argument inside of me this brochure that when read out loud proclaims i am here for you it doesn't matter where or when i will listen while you vent support you when you're down and offer advice and commiseration all based off what you tell me you need my story resides in the fine print it secretly begs to be offered someone else's brochure because i can't ask please let me know it's okay So, how do I cope? Slowly, painstakingly, I build my way back into relationships and try to work into deeper relationships while I'm away, one message at a time. I admit to myself that my pain doesn't have to be my own, that by sharing it, it dissipates into something smaller, manageable. I take it one step at a time, not alone, just six feet away. Thank you.
0: You've probably heard a lot of stories about the current situation in hospitals and clinics, and you probably know a few healthcare workers who work in quote unquote the front lines of all of this that's going on right now. Our next storyteller is Melanie Andrews, who is an attending physician at Unity Point at Methodist, where she works for the University of Illinois College of Medicine in the family practice residency. What that means specifically is that she teaches and supervises resident physicians in their three-year residency program for family practice. Melanie is extremely smart, kind, uh, and an excellent teacher on the whole. Uh, And I'm extremely respectful of the work that she does to train the next generation of doctors where we so badly need them. Furthermore, she knits, she bakes, and she's the mother of two adventurous daughters. Take it away, Melanie.
4: Things are really different where I work now. I lead an inpatient team that normally carries about 20 patients a day, and we were down to eight, maybe ten tops. We have no visitors in the hospital unless uh, the patient is actively dying or in labor. Um, We have to walk in past security and show our badge and then go to get scrubs at a table where they hand us a mask as well to see our patients. And it feels like my home is under attack I also feel like I'm bringing danger to my family at home, and I started with leaving my rings at home because I can't take a chance that they're going to snag my gloves when I have to go into a COVID positive room, or um I wonder if, you know, am I really going to be able to get uh th- that ring clean enough to not uh bring it home with me. Um, I started putting my shoes in a bin outside my house because I didn't want to worry about what I would track into the carpet or onto the floor where my kids play. Um, And I've spent the last three weeks overhauling schedules in my clinic to try and reduce the risk of immunocompromised patients who need to get care but uh, may come in contact with people who are sick and don't realize it while they're waiting in our waiting room. So I just finished this inpatient week and it had been slow uh, but emotionally and very mentally exhausting where we were constantly prepping and looking at guidelines on um, keeping up with PPE and testing criteria that sometimes change three times a day Um, and I was ready to go home. It was Friday at like 4.30 in the afternoon which I'm sure Ben can attest to is always the time that like the worst crap happens. Um, And so we got a call from the ER saying it was a possible pneumonia and I had a great second year resident who was on who said I don't think that this is a second is a pneumonia I think that this is COVID. And so I talked to the ER attending and we talked about the case and I called infectious disease and infectious disease agreed and our rule was that the attending had to go see a rule out COVID patient because we didn't want to waste PPE with a resident and an attending having to go see that patient. And so my team is watching me put on my coat, and they are just boring holes into my back with their eyes, and I am so nervous. And I felt like I just really needed something, a little strength, a little courage, like I've never needed before. And at this point, I've been through four years of med school, three years of residency, a year of high-risk surgical obstetrics fellowship and and five-and-a-half years as an attending teaching faculty. And I have never, not once, been scared to see a patient. But things are different at work now. What's not different, though, is my training. And all of those years have given me tools, and all of those years of training have given me community, and, um, have so deeply ingrained, um, these tools into me that I can utilize them when I am sleep deprived, when I have a new or foreign situation. And I have been trained to think and to learn and to problem solve in a way that most people, um, are not. And so what came to me now was a lot of these old habits. And so, the first thought I actually had was, well, I'm going to be late. And so I texted my husband on the walk to the ER to say, I will not be home for pizza for dinner. Um, but things are different at work. And so I also told him that I was seeing a COVID patient and I was really scared. And my feet were heavy on my walk there and I felt so alone. And what I needed at that moment was just a hug or something, like I needed a shove, I needed something, some kind of encouragement. And so I reached again for my community and for um, the tools of my training, and what ended up coming to me, surprisingly, was muscle memory. And what this is, is it's the way you hold an instrument, the way your hands move to deliver a baby. It's ingrained in your physical self from years of repetitive training exercises. It means you can conjure the action and the feel without thinking. This time, for me, it was the muscle memory of my chubby baby throwing her arms around my neck and sinking into my body. And it was my oldest, my preschooler, running and flinging her whole body around my leg. It was my people being with me when I needed them most, even though they weren't there at all. So I took my pause, and I pushed open the ER doors, and I walked in, and after briefly talking with the ER attending, I took off my pager and my white coat and my name badge, and I pulled my phone and my pen out of my pocket because today wasn't a normal day at work, and it was so strange and so odd to take off all of these things and leave them aside to go see a patient. And I stood outside the patient's room, and I put on my PPE, and I realized I was about to enter a room with a potential encounter that could kill me, wearing a surgical mask, gloves, and essentially my high school chemistry goggles and the equivalent of a Dollar Tree garbage bag. And I actually laughed a little bit because it was so horrific that it was comical. And I felt my heart rate jump, and I stood paralyzed in front of this door and I slid into another technique, grounding. I've had to wait before, and I have had to stand gloved and gowned waiting to crash section a patient while anesthesia puts her under, and I've stood at the foot of the bed running codes. And there is a calm that comes, and it always comes, and I have never questioned it, never examined it, never had to look for it, I just plant my feet and I cross my arms and I sway a little, deep breath in and out, and I run through the history and the plan in my head until it's time to go. And it has never failed me, not once. And it is my training. It's the gift of my peers and my colleagues and all of their years of collective knowledge. It is the medical community within me. And sometimes it comes with a phrase, I am enough. I am enough. It's every nurse. It's every respiratory therapist. It's every CRNA who's been with me, who's stood next to me, who's told me their stories of every failure or every screw-up they've had, too. And I'm appreciative for that, and I'm appreciative to have them as my teachers as well. It's in this community that the calm comes now, too, And I reach for the door handle and I pull back the heaviest door I've ever opened. And I walk inside the room to see a patient like those I've seen hundreds of times before. And she's sick. And we talk like I have a hundred times before. And I lay hands on a patient like I have hundreds of times before. And we finish up. I take off my PPE and I leave. The door feels lighter. I know that I will walk into this room many more times before this is over. And I will continue to open heavy doors. Patients and physicians and nurses will be in this deeply together many more times than ever before. And I am grateful for that community and I am grateful that I have that togetherness even though it feels very lonely sometimes. We are doing things like this. We are doing storytelling to build community. And I have to thank Ben for this opportunity. And I told him that I um, felt that this was really therapeutic, and I am grateful for his, his friendship. I am also grateful for um, the community that we have down in Peoria. The windows of our hospital are covered with hearts and words of encouragement for our staff. The sidewalks outside have messages of love and hope from our community. My preschooler has been focused on sending coloring pages to people to cheer them up. And I've gotten many messages asking where people can donate masks and gloves. I know that the weeks and months ahead will be horrific for those of us in medicine, but I know that it is also very scary and very horrific for those who are out in the community as well. But we are here with you and we love you and we are appreciative and honored that you let us take care of you So think of us, and we will think of you, and we will keep showing up to work, but please stay home and wash your hands.
1: They hung a sign up in our town, if you live it up, you won't live it down. So she left Monte Rio son, Just like a bullet leaves a gun With charcoal eyes and Monroe hips She went and took that California trip Well, the moon was gold, her hair like wind She said, don't look back, just come on, Jim Oh, you got to hold on, hold on. Yeah, you gotta hold on. Taking my hand, I'm standing right here. You gotta hold on. Well, he gave her a dime store watch and a ring made from a spoon. Everyone's looking for someone to blame But you share my bed You share my name Well, go ahead and call the cops You don't meet nice girls in coffee shops And she said, baby, I still love you And sometimes there's nothing left to do Oh got to hold on hold on yeah you gotta hold on Taking my hand standing right here you gotta hold on well god bless your crooked little heart st louis got the best of me i miss your broken china voice And how I wish you were still here with me Well, you build it up, you wreck it down You burn your mansion to the ground When there's nothing left to keep you here When you're falling behind in this big blue world Oh, you got to hold on My hand. standing right here, you gotta hold on. Mm-hmm. Down by the riverside motel. It's ten below and falling By a 99 cent store She closed her eyes and started swaying But it's so hard to dance that way When it's cold and there's no music Well, your old hometown's so far away But inside your head there's a record plan A song called Hold on, hold on Yeah, you gotta hold on Take my hand Standing right here You gotta hold on Hold on Hold on, you really gotta hold on, taking my hand, standing right here, you gotta hold on.
0: This podcast has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or slash Nerdalogs.